morning. It's uh, good, good to be back this morning. As you probably heard, I was preaching at the Campbell Church of Christ in San Jose, California last week, and uh, they send their, their greetings uh, to you guys. I'm thankful for uh, Lars filling in right before camp as he and Janelle somehow took a baby to camp. I don't even know that was humanly possible, but uh, we, we appreciate all the work that, that you guys uh, did, did at camp, and I'm thankful for Cameron also uh, volunteering there. Last week, Lars talked about intentionality, what it means to um, set markers in our lives and to think about um, like really considering the things that are most important and making those things a priority. And that's a really important uh, part of understanding what it is to be a Christian. This morning, I want to talk about uh, what it means to, to build our lives in a certain kind of way. And you might be familiar with the Australian actor Paul Hogan. Um, you might be familiar with his work in Crocodile Dundee, uh, perhaps. That was like his, his most famous movie. Um, this is him in Crocodile Dundee. And then the job that he had before uh, he was a famous actor, he actually like, was in charge of maintenance on the Sydney Bridge. So he literally came out of nowhere uh, to do this. And yeah, some of you are like, I could never do that job. Yeah, I don't think I could either. He was on a talent show, actually, um, it was like the all million different talent shows that, that we have today, um, uh, that you have all these judges, and it was very popular in Australia. And so he went on the show, and he told everybody he was a tap-dancing knife thrower. And so he steps out onto the stage as this tap-dancing knife, knife thrower, and he just starts doing like a little bit of dancing, um, and then stops, and then just starts making fun of the judges. And these are like some of the judges that you know from like watching those shows. So people never did that really. The judges would make fun of the people, but not the other way around. So he just starts like dissing the judges. And then after doing that for a little while, he pulls a few butter knives out of his pocket, drops them on the floor, and then walks off the stage. <laughs> a tap dancing knife thrower. And this was so like revolutionary. What a, what a crazy idea that he immediately became very popular in Australia. He got his own show called the Paul Hogan Show where he would um, do different things and he just like this hailed as kind of a creative genius because he basically was talentless for the most part. And he ended up being a, a spokesman uh, for Australia. He was part of an advertising campaign and Australia was at that time the 35th most popular place to travel to. After his campaign, it was number one for a while. And he had the famous phrase, anybody put another shrimp on the barbie? Yeah, so that was his phrase, and it made Australia super popular to go to, and still to this day, this guy who started out as a tap-dancing knife thrower literally like, came from nowhere and did something with his life. And I think we're inspired by stories like that, where we see that somebody like, is able to do something, and literally it's like, it's not because they're more talented than you, perhaps, it's just that they were kind of creative. They had this idea, and they did this. And I think we're inspired by that, because that's, I think, what we're made for. The beginning of the scriptures tell us a story about how there's nothing, basically, and God then enters in and creates. And we see that, and we know, like, we, we want to be part of this. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it tells us God blesses the world and says, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And this is what God's basic edict is to humanity. And we're not super comfortable, I think, with that idea of, of ruling, you know, having th this position of, of like some sort of power. And I think that's somewhat justified because we've seen power used in incorrect ways and people abuse the power that they have over others. But I think this is a different sort of understanding of, of ruling in a certain kind of way. I mean, think about how the stories that have 
like been a huge part of human history. They always involve like this, this journey, the Odyssey, which some people think dates to around 300, um, is a story of, of this, this journey, you know, going on this, this adventure. More modern examples, uh, we see like the Lord of the Rings, which you have the books and then the movies, which are a little tedious for me, but they're, they're long at least. You have Star Wars, and lots of people love Star Wars. Um, what does Luke start out as in, in those movies? What is he? He's a moisture farmer, right? There's some, some Star Wars nerds in the audience. You got this. And then you see this very common you know, moisture farmer, and he ends up going on this, this grand adventure. And I think we connect with those stories because deep down we wonder and, and we hope that we are meant for something deeper. And the fact is I think we all are. To not rule, perhaps, like with an iron fist, but to have a, a position of, of, of respect, to have lived our lives for something. I think of my grandparents, who I always get nostalgic about because we would go during the summer to visit them in Oregon for um, a couple weeks uh, during the summertime. And it was always like a really fun trip. We, we would get up there and spend time with them. And it was always like all the extended families. They had a ton of, of grandchildren running around and my aunts and uncles. And they were like at the center of it. They were people who like kind of ruled over all of us, like not with an iron fist, but there was reverence. Like we really, we, we loved them. We, we respected them. We honored them. Even though they were different from us and from a different generation, we just had a certain amount of awe and respect and, and reverence being around them. And whether one day you have like an extended family or not that will one day perhaps, or maybe you already have that people that do that for you, the way that you live your life, whether you're like you're single, you're married or not, if you think about your, your coworkers and your neighbors, if you treat them in a certain way, people are going to have a sense of like respect about how that you live your life. They're going to look at the way that you live and not everybody perhaps is going to honor you like perhaps you deserve, but you're going to have people who look up to you, who come to you for advice so when we think about what it means to radah is the Hebrew word there, I think it's helpful to think of it as like actively partnering with God to take the world forward in all the different ways that we can have influence in, in our neighborhoods, in, in, in your school, whatever it is. What, was it, what would it look like for you to understand that you have an opportunity to partner with God to do good work in the world, that you are literally building something with your life? So Genesis 1 tells us that, but then Genesis 2 has this, this very odd passage that perhaps if you've ever read the Bible, you would just read pretty quickly through this. Now the Lord God had planted a tree in the garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Good, we'll keep going. There's a few of these. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree, were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. So, 
Who's excited by that material? Oh, that was riveting, wasn't it? Like whenever you're reading through things like that, when I, I don't know about you, but especially in the like, geographic materials uh, in, in the Bible, that just sounds like, whoa, I don't know, okay, direction, I'm not sitting in front of a map. Okay, that river, that river, okay, thank you. That really wasn't all that helpful, perhaps. Like let's get back to the story um, of Adam and Eve. But what this is telling us, I think, is actually um, pretty fascinating. Yeah, especially that one. Go ahead and put that one back up. This is the part that gets like the most boring, perhaps. Like the gold of that land is good, aromatic resin and onyx are also there. You're like, really, thank you. That's really helpful. Um, the, the reason why I think we have this, though, is we see the, these waters, like all these streams and all this stuff. There's this, this energy, and then there's this rock that's there. There's gold, and what we should do is stand back for a moment and say, wow, there's all these raw materials. Like, what are they going to make of the world? Adam and Eve have been blessed with this opportunity, and yeah, it sounds a little bit weird, but there's this over here and there's that over there. And what are they going to make with it? What is this world going to be like? So they have these flowing rivers and they have these different kinds of stone and rock. It reminds me of a Settlers of Catan game, if you've ever played that. I, I'm a little bit of a Catanimal. Uh, that's a joke for about five people in here, but um, it, it was worth it. But it reminds me of that where you're like, you're trying to build resources and you're trying to do all this stuff. And so it's like, okay, there's this this resource here and there's this resource here. And then there's these rivers. And again, we should sit back and go, wow, like what's going to happen? What are they going to make with it? And Adam is created and then Eve ends up created. And it says that Adam and Eve eventually then they're supposed to work it. Like I know that it's easy to think that your boss is a result of the fall of the world. And maybe he or she is, and she really is that bad. But work is a part of God's intention. That Adam and Eve are like, invited to partner with God in working and creating the world. And what an opportunity, right? Oftentimes, I think when, when work gets hard for us is when we're tempted to give up. But when we see some of these passages, like, aromatic resin, that sounds like it's going to be hard to work with, right? It's it's saying, like, basically, there's these things, there's this gold. Have you ever tried to mine for gold? Have you thought about what it would look like for Adam? We think of Adam and Eve just kind of, you know, just sitting there, just chilling. But God says, no, 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 let's let's get to work, guys. And basically, you have this, this world and all these energies and these things. What are you going to make with it? Work is hard. It's difficult. Like pouring your life into something is is very, very hard. But so is working with resin. And from the very beginning, we're told that there are these certain things that are in the world. There's these substances. There's these powers. And what I think you need to realize from these verses, and again, it's kind of like something you would have read right past, and I did for a very long time. The garden is dynamic. It's not static. That Adam and Eve are invited to participate in this. And what I think is is helpful is for us all to recognize that we have the opportunity to be part of the world that we're creating. The way that you are in your neighborhood, the way that you are in your family, the role that you play in all the different places, you are literally building a world. And so for those of us who are in this, this moment where we get a chance to think about this life. I think it's helpful to think about the start where we see Adam and Eve get this opportunity, but then it's also helpful to think about where it's going. So Revelation chapter 21 tells us this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The book of Revelation is often very confusing, and I would recommend being very careful when you try to like make one-to-one comparisons with the book of Revelation, uh, because there's often numbers in there that you got to be really careful with. Like, I wouldn't really necessarily say like that's exactly what it has to be, because often it's very cryptic. But one thing that this verse is telling us is that one day the new city will be here. And when we think about heaven, Generally, we think of it as like this Geico commercial in the sky, right? That it's like this, this faraway place and there's these little cherubs playing harps. Uh, and I'm not saying those might be somewhere in there. But this is telling us that one day, the heaven will come down. And what's interesting is it describes it as a holy city. And that's really interesting imagery. Because cities are created by people, Right? It's arts and it's culture. It's the, the city of a place like Los Angeles. We, we think of it as a, a diverse, thriving thing. There's about 50 things we wish we could all solve in the city of Los Angeles, perhaps, like traffic maybe being number one. There's all these things that we, we want to try to make better, but we think of cities as this, these like dynamic, bustling places. And it's interesting that heaven here is, is described as this, this arrival of this city that we often think about like going to heaven one day when we die. But what Revelation is describing is this new city coming here. That it's a restored earth. And that's a really important thing for us to get. There's an idea, people have bumper stickers about the rapture. Perhaps you've seen this rapture bumper sticker before. You can get it for $5 on Amazon. It should be up there. Yeah, warning in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. Um, <laughs> It's not a really great example, I think. You know, it's like, just in, like, in case there's a rapture, this thing could just be like hurtling right towards you. So be really careful. You can buy one of these for five bucks on Amazon, apparently. I, f- I found that, that out. And there's this idea of like, really, rapture is nowhere in, in the Bible. There's some verses that kind of allude to it, but it's not really the biblical picture that we're all just going to escape here. In fact, what the revelation picture is, is that God will redeem things here that one day heaven comes here, that there will be no more tears, that there's going to be a different sort of dynamic world. And at that point, God rules every part of our lives. I've heard it said before that when you understand heaven, God's going to let everybody into heaven who can stand it. Because if you're racist, you're not going to like it there. And if you're greedy, you're not going to like it there. But it's about God coming in and restoring the world. This is so important and it's central to Jesus' message. Think about how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He says, pray that God's kingdom would come more here, right? 
not just that you would escape this place one day when you die, but that God's kingdom would come here, that you would participate. And so when we get the opportunity to serve at Ascensia, when we get the opportunity to partner with, with Chris and Crystal and the awesome work that they do in Africa, we get a chance to be part of bringing God's kingdom more and more here. That's so important because we all collectively need to understand that the things that we are building, they matter. The ways we are participating with God and God's work in the world, like, it makes a difference. and It matters. I think this is especially important for people in, in my generation. Uh, I'm an old millennial. I, like, barely qualify as a millennial. Uh, and I'm born in December 82, and I think the cutoff is, like, 1982, so I think I kind of qualify. Uh, but one thing that I think, like, me and those who are younger than me are, are really good at, and I would put myself in this category, too, is tearing things down. Like, we're really good at seeing, like, what's wrong and then telling everybody what's wrong with it. And, you know, when it comes to work, when it comes to that stuff, it's easy to just think, well, you know, once I'm in charge, then it's going to be better. It's so easy to just kind of sit back and, and tear things down. We do this in all sorts of forms. We've uh, torn down the taxi system, right? There's Uber and there's Lyft. And you probably never took a taxi very much in your life until now. There's like these opportunities for you to take Uber or Lyft. I don't even have anybody who loves me enough to take me to LAX anymore because it's just <laughs> pretty cheap. Like to just hop, hop in an Uber, hop, hop in a Lyft, it's just a lot easier. We can tear down politics, say that things are all wrong in Washington and I'm not saying that it's perfect there. It's easy to, to tear down institutions like churches. We can look at things and just say, you know, like, well, I, I would just do better. And it's just so easy for us to just sit around and tear everything down. Just recently, something sad that happened to, to me. I, I grew up going on, on Magnolia. There's a pizza place called Bella Vista. And that was like our family's place. And it was where Manny and I went on our, our first date where she fell in love with me. No, that took, that took many more, uh, many more, many more dates. But it was where we went on our first date. It's where we went with our uh, families to like re- reveal the gender of our, our kids. And on the end of June, it was like, I think it was a Saturday, uh, they just came around and told the people who were eating there, this is our last day open. Like, and they were also running out of things. Like, we don't have any more pepperoni. I don't know. I wasn't there. I wish I would have been there because I, I wish I would have known. And if they would have said we have one more month open, I think it would have it was a, a really great Burbank spot. I think they would have made a whole lot of money in July if they would have just held it open for one more month. But they're closed down now. And a lot of that kind of thing is happening to mom-and-pop places around in, in Burbank and in L.A. I was talking with a friend of mine about this recently. He said, yeah, pretty much our world is headed to just like 30 Starbucks being right next to each other. Like, <laughs> just like, you just pull up and there's like 10 Starbucks and you try and like, you have on an app, like, which line is the shortest right now? And that's pretty much, it seems like where, where we seem to be headed. And we're really good at tearing things down and just trying to make things, you know, the most efficient, the easiest, where you can order on an app and get some rewards. You know, it's so easy to just not recognize some of the things that we're going to miss by not choosing to look a little bit deeper to help perhaps an underdog build. 
the problem with deconstruction and, and being able to tear things down pretty simple isn't necessarily that, because we actually need people in our world recognizing problems. I think we definitely do. But then, what I think is missing is hopeful reconstruction. That yes, like this group or this thing, like there's, there's some problems here, and I feel like I can address them, and then like reaching in and saying, okay, this, this, this is maybe not going to work, but let's hopefully rebuild. Let's have a different sort of perspective. Like, I'm not going to be cynical or bitter. Like, let's hopefully rebuild together. It's so easy today to just be a critic, right? I, I don't like it. To, I don't like to go, I don't really go on social media at all anymore, but I, I hated to go many years ago on social media when, like, there was an award show and people were saying, like, I can't believe this movie made it, you know? And it's like, well, then make another, make, your, make a better one, right? I, I don't know, I, like... It's so easy to just be the armchair quarterback and to just say, oh, you know, if I was, it's like, okay, then go for it. You know, make it better. Improve the world. And we're called to restore the world, to partner with God, to be healers, to move things in a new direction. And may we recognize that that is our true calling. That Adam and Eve, they are given this Mandate from God, rule over the world, but in a certain kind of way. And then here's all these resources and make something beautiful out of it. And it's not that it's going to be easy. Again, you know, like working with, with rock, and it's like, that's hard work. And we have uh, reality shows. It's like naked and alone, right? Where like they just put somebody down in like the middle of nowhere. We, we watch it. That's basically Adam and Eve. And it's like they have, a, they have a hard road ahead of them. I mean, it's like not necessarily easy to create a world from scratch. But we're called to be builders and restorers, not be people who just tear things down. What is your part to play in the world? And that might not mean that you're going to become like the next big thing, and that's okay. I mean, there's very few next big things, right? There's an author and preacher named Adam Hamilton who, in a book I was reading, said this, clearly few people accomplish something truly big with their lives. And it's not the big thing that will ensure that our lives have meaning. Rather, the sum total of hundreds and thousands of small acts that we do across the course of our lives is truly what gives our lives meaning. And this is so true, because you've maybe accomplished something really big in your life, and you've realized, wow, that didn't quite do it for me. Or you've seen celebrities, and one of the reasons why we'll read those magazines that are in the checkout aisles sometimes is when like, we see those people who have accomplished something big, and still they make their lives a mess, and we can't help but be like, hmm, you know, I'd kind of like to read how someone else screwed things up. And very few people will accomplish truly like really big things with their lives, but that doesn't mean that your life doesn't matter. And that doesn't mean that what God has put you in charge to be faithful with doesn't matter. Mother Teresa says this very simply and beautifully. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Not all of us are going to be the CEO. Not all of us are going to be Paul Hogan, who walk on a stage as a tap-dancing knife thrower and end up with this crazy career. But that doesn't mean that you can't make a dramatic impact. 
the question that I would ask is, what are you building with your life? And maybe you've done some, some tearing down and some deconstruction, and maybe you needed to do that, but then how do you hopefully then re-engage and enter in with, with hope about what you can do? Because your call is to be a builder. Your call is to be a healer in the world. Deuteronomy chapter 34, as it tells us about the end of Moses' life, it says, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. And what's interesting is there's a Hebrew idiom there that uh, I can't really say because it's dangerous, but it basically means like he can still procreate is what it means. So this is the kind of thing like a little wink, wink, knock, like he, Moses can still, you know, like I mean, he, that's kind of what, what it's saying. And that's, 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 that's the, like the idiom that's there, but what it actually is, is meaning on like a deeper level is that he could still participate in the creation of the world. That even though he was old and you know, he, was, he was a little bit weaker than he used to be, even though he was, he was very old in this moment, he still had great potential. No matter what age you happen to be at. You have great potential. Whether you feel like you're towards the end of your days, the way that you treat those who are younger than you, the ways that you allow others to be raised up, like you can make a huge difference moving forward. If you're a young person and you feel like you don't really have much say, just the way that you live, it deeply matters. Moses here, it says he still has this great potential. May we recognize the potential that we have, and the calling that we have. Because not everybody is going to be doing something huge. Just because you aren't doesn't mean your life doesn't matter. And really, what makes things ultimately most meaningful is those thousands of small decisions that you make every single week to allow other people to be part of the story, to recognize that you are building a certain kind of life. So Adam and Eve start with aromatic resin and rivers. And the question that we don't ask enough is, what are they going to make out of that world? And it's a question we don't ask ourselves enough either. You have great potential to make a certain kind of world to participate in such a way that you enter in not just to tear something down, but to hopefully rebuild. May you recognize your calling there. May you recognize that you are meant to be a healer and that every act of healing and restoration makes a dramatic difference. Again, you might not do something incredible. You might not become the CEO, but we all can do small things with great love that move the world in a certain kind of way. Let's pray together. God, may we recognize your calling on our lives. May we recognize the way that you encourage us to be healers and restorers. May we say the things that need to be said to, to deconstruct, but also then may we rebuild May we recognize that we are called to do big things, not as the, the world would see them, but big things for you that we can do constantly and every single day.
Father, you are always working in us, and I'm thankful for that. May you continue to remind us of your great spirit and presence. Your son, Jesus, name I pray. Amen. I had asked the worship team to do this song, which we did one time at the beginning of service, but it's our uh, second time doing it today as we kind of learn it together. Uh, It has the refrain that you make beautiful things out of the dust. And this is the calling that I want you to remember this week, that God continues to create in us and do new things in us. Let's stand and worship together.